I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles, and this is FT Startup Stories, a weekly show in which I talk to founders about the joys and challenges of starting a business. Al Shariat trained as a lawyer, but then took a job with the UNDP in Iran, working on microfinance and other projects. It was this experience that inspired him to change direction and set up a business providing ethically sourced coconut products to Western consumers. It all started when he met his business partner, Shan Vignes, an established coconut trader who was to become the largest shareholder in the business. The day that I actually came in to see him, it was a cloudy, rainy Saturday afternoon. And you come into this industrial estate and it's all quiet, there's nothing going on here. There's trucks outside, but it's quite messy. And uh, went into his office and it was really refreshing because instantly I could tell we had the same values. You know, a very kind of honest and genuine business was, was important to us. And the other thing that won me over was that on my way in, I bought every coconut product I could find. I had 20 of them with me in this bag, and he didn't actually expect this to happen. But I pulled them out on the table, and I said, let's do a taste test. Because Coconut Merchant didn't really exist at the time. The logo was here, and there was a few things here, but this is a chance to really figure things out. And I loved his coconut water. It was fantastic. I thought, right, this is something where we can really change stuff. You know, it tastes good. We can do good. There's a lot going on. And yeah, there's a partnership with Struck, and... Two years later, almost two years later, here we are. So what we do is we partner as close as we can with the farmers. And so, for example, again, our coconut oil, it's us. There's a mill that processes the coconut oil and there's the farmers. And so we can look to make sure that they get fair pay, they're respected for their products, there's fair conditions where they're working, if they have staff and all that kind of thing. We can also help with certification. And then also as we grow, they grow too and we get to support more villages and we get to support more farmers, which is great. I was recently in Indonesia where the coconut sugar is made and that's a network of around 2,000 farmers. It's a very large network and you hear these great stories because it's not just the farmer itself that benefit. For example, I met the farmer who was able to now send his daughter to university. I mean, these guys are in a very remote village. It's people who have traditionally not necessarily gone to university and even their daughters are now able to go to university. So. While the farmer grows, he gets a certainty of income. And it's great being part of that bigger movement or this kind of conscious effort to create a new model for business where the supplier, the business, and the customer can all benefit. The farmer gets a good price. We get to do something we love. And the customer gets a quality product at a much more affordable price. Your family probably thought that their son who was becoming a lawyer was going to be their pride and joy yeah. to boast all their friends. And then you suddenly <laughs> decide to go in this harebrained startup yeah. idea. You hit the nail what? on the head on that, on that one. Yeah, that's exactly the case. But yeah, I mean, this is a massive gamble because, you know, it, hopefully it will pay off and we'll be able to achieve something here. And you've done a master's before this, so that there's student debt? 
Fortunately, while I was doing some project management work, I was able to pay off most of my student debt, which is very good. But in terms of financing, it's the benefit of having kind of like a big brother investor who can really help us out in terms of making sure that we have good lines of commercial credit and we can operate the business in a really confident way. Because we're ordering containers of product at a time, so a single coconut water, we'll order that in four container loads at a time, which is not a small sum of money. And it's thanks to his efforts and his experience and his commercial analysis that we're able to do that. The way we can apportion things out is he manages the supply end and the commercial side in terms of the, the banking, and I will manage the middle office and the operations and then the front office side of things. And it's a good kind of split because that's where we both function the best. It's a very good partnership and um, I'm very fortunate because it's an avenue to realise a dream, to really make a difference well being able to have a roof over my head. <laughs> You're selling online? Yes. Um, Traditional routes to market as well. So we have several. So we've got an online approach where, um, in a sense, there's no kind of barriers to entry for us. So we could go straight in and build a demand for our products, show people how good they are competing to the competition and the incumbents, and really kind of challenge some people there. And then use that strength to go into stores and say, look, here's this demand, it's already there. If you like the business, you should list us because we know there's people who want to buy the products in your stores. And yeah, so now we're listing quite a few places, uh, ranges from food halls, kind of fancy places, to independent health stores all across the country, which are the backbone of our support and they're very incredible people. Retailers, though, are notorious, especially yes. the big supermarkets, for squeezing suppliers like you. How do you deal with that? I think it's about building a relationship with the buyer that we're working with and really kind of helping them see what we're trying to do because we don't operate like another company where when they squeeze us or when they increase their volume, we can squeeze our suppliers and say, do you need to reduce your price? Um, we can't do that because they're the farmers. So where that comes in is we really work hard to work on that relationship and for them to really share our vision. And that's actually happening more and more. So more and more of the buyers see us as a company that can help them. And they see the bigger picture as well, which is really useful for us. What about the big retailers? You know, there are some very mm. aggressive buyers out there. Who... Yeah, there's two things. I mean, one is, again, Sean, he's quite experienced, so he knows how to manage that kind of relationship. And then the other thing, for example, we sell into ASDA and uh, we have a buyer there who really sees the quality of the product and he sees it flying. So he's willing to invest a lot of his own margin on our products and we will sell pallets of it through him because obviously they're people too and they have career ambitions and all these kinds of things. And they see that it's not always the case when they squeeze us, they'll win. We've had buyers who've done that and we'll get an email from them a few months later saying, oh, you know, I'm moving on to something else. And we can tell this is, it's, it's not worked and that model hasn't worked for them. And then for other buyers, actually this one, same one as the, he's now been promoted and now he's moving through the ranks, which is good for him. And we have to now start with another buyer, but. Helping people is a great way of building a relationship. Exactly. What about the quality side? How do you get across that value? It is quite difficult. But one of the benefits is that coconuts are kind of growing as a market. Coconuts are everywhere now. And so we're kind of partly riding that current, but also we have really new and novel products that they haven't necessarily heard of before. So our coconut jam was the first coconut jam in Europe, um, actually anywhere really. 
So people will hear about it, they'll be interested, and then they'll taste it, and you see their eyes widen as they taste it, and it's wow, this is incredible, I can't believe there's just coconut. And uh, yeah, and it's grown from there. We work really hard with a really broad community of bloggers, and they really help get the word out. And again, it's just the symbiotic relationship, so we'll offer them products, they'll give us recipes, and we promote them, they promote us, and it's this understanding where it's not a zero-sum game. You can grow it, we can grow it together, and they're great. These bloggers are incredible. And that's a very cheap way of marketing now, thanks to the yeah. social media. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. It's, and there's certain platforms that are specific, or you'll find them heavily dominated with our category, like the food category. So Instagram's a great example because you can really exhibit your products, your food there, and the recipes you've made. And at the same time, we've got other people like Eddie Hartz, who is a Facebook personality in a sense. And she's got hundreds of thousands of followers on Facebook and they've been growing over the space of just two years. But she does clean eating recipes and you know, she'll be in Tesco and she'll take a photo of a new product that's there and instantly it'll draw a lot of attention to it. And uh, it's great. How do you get her to spot your product and rave about it? We were quite lucky in that we met Hedy very early in her journey when she had slightly less followers but you know through her personal skill and just her charm and you know the the quality of her post she's grown really well and we work really hard to we have like to make sure we have a good quality product and she sees that and so it makes it a lot easier you're a global business in the sense you're bringing products from all around the world to here what about an international selling stress we actually i can quite humbly say of all our competitors we're number one and more online markets than anyone else and we use a similar strategy like we use in the UK so test the market using online platforms prove ourselves develop a following and then work to get distributors and find new routes to market for example we're the number one grocery product in France Italy and Spain on Amazon but our products are coming in from say Sri Lanka so the oil that farmers work really hard to produce there is now being shared all across the world which is really good. And now we are moving to North America. We're hoping to be there before the end of the year. And so that's going to be really exciting. Alex Nichols teaches social entrepreneurship at the Said Business School in Oxford. I asked him to explain the difference between fair trade and ethical trade and what impact these have had on the way that we do business. The fair trade market remains small globally, so its impact commercially on global markets is marginal. It's less than 1% of global trade. On the other hand, it amounts to several billion dollars of additional income for small producers. So that's a big difference for them if they're in the system. Its effect as a set of ideas has been much more powerful. So fair trade's ability to sensitize customers to want to know, for example, where a product comes from, the conditions under which it's made, That has been very powerful and has had a much bigger effect, I think, on the way global supply chains are being managed now and presented to customers. Coconut merchants are an ethical trader. What's the difference between that and a fair trade business? The fair trade model is predicated on a set of audited standards and there's no way you can get around them if you want to use the fair trade mark, which you see on a packet of tea or packet of coffee that's fair trade certified. And crucial to that, above all, is a guaranteed minimum price to a producer for a given commodity. So for coffee or tea, it'll be a different price, but it'll be a minimum that's worked out as being a sustainable living wage for the producer. So whatever else happens in the supply chain, whether the price is reduced on the supermarket shelf or whatever, the producer's 
the minimum payment is guaranteed. Happily, if the price goes up on the global market, the producer gets the higher price as well. Ethically sourced products don't normally have that built into them, so they will adopt you know, fair payment terms, they'll look after labour standards, they might stop child labour or the use of pesticides, all of which are very good things, but they tend not to guarantee a minimum price. So ethically sourced stuff is great and achieves much that is good, but crucially it won't typically have the same guarantee for economic development of fair trade will. The you know, term social or not social, you're implying all entrepreneurs who aren't social are evil. That's not the point. We want entrepreneurs around the world to all be attending to the livelihoods of their workers, customers, local communities and the environment. Of course we do. But social entrepreneurs tend to be defined as separate from entrepreneurs because they focus their entrepreneurial efforts on a social issue. They choose to address a healthcare or environmental or educational or economic development problem as the thing that drives their business. And that you know, is a big distinction for most entrepreneurs who are inventing apps or developing products and services and who may well want to wrap that around, you know, a do no harm kind of motive, but that's completely different. The key thing for you as a business manager is going to be the balance between the ethical and the, and the trade. You know, how much do you need your business to be successful commercially for its own objectives and how much can that be offset by your mission requirements? So if your margin is being squeezed by a retailer, then you have a choice. You can pass that on to your producer in some form or partially pass it on and preserve your own commercial model. Or you could choose to take some of that hit to increase your potential impact for the producer. Now, in the case of fair trade, as I said, it's not an option to pass that on. So the question then becomes, how do you manage a reduction in margin as a business in the middle? And often that can be very tough. I mean, fair trade companies often are not highly profitable. Most of the big players, your cafe directs of the world, trade crafts, have been thriving over the past 15 years. The market as a whole in the UK has been growing at double-digit rates for more than a decade. So if people like it and the market is growing, then there's some evidence that consumers have been making choices in their shopping basket that allow them to preserve their kind of fair or ethical or organic produce and maybe you know buying a cheaper own brand toothpaste or something else so they can afford to carry on buying slightly more expensive fair trade stuff. So one of the reasons it's so popular with supermarkets is because it has very loyal customers. So it's a great thing to have on your shelves. People keep on buying it. For Al, what have been the most rewarding and most difficult moments? The fact that I'm now able to do something I've dreamt of doing since I was a kid, which was really helping people. The toughest element, which ties into that, is that there is no off button. You can't switch off. You're always thinking about it, and it can be physically draining, so I'm finding myself getting tired a lot more than I used to. At least you can have some healthy snacks exactly. to get through the day. Exactly. But you do need like a good break every now and then, which is good. And for me, I think it's been taking trips back to see our farmers and kind of start again at first principles and see the benefits of where our, you know, our efforts are going. So recently I was in Indonesia seeing our farmers there, and it's incredible coming back and you whole new energy in the whole thing you say right we are doing something great let's keep powering on this is the last in our current series of ft startup stories you can catch up on previous episodes by going to our special page ft.com forward slash startup we'll also be publishing an edited version of a london live panel discussion we held recently so look out for that we'll be back with more ft startup stories in the new year until then Thanks for listening and goodbye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.